This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hiya, I'm Jan Brereton and this is Everybody is a Poem, a podcast where I explore all of life's laughs, loves and losses and everything in between with my guests. Uh, my guest this week is Andrew Fitzsimons. He is the Kardashians hairdresser. Now he's so much more than that as well. I worked with Andrew when he started off his hairdressing career back when he was 15 or 16. We talked about that but we also talked about his life now in LA. He goes to therapy lots. He was a bit of a therapist to me if I'm honest. And we also talked about who's his favourite Kardashian. It's Chloe, by the way. She's his mate. But that's good. I always thought Chloe would be my friend as well. Anyway, I really enjoy chatting to Andrew and I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome, Andrew Fitzsimons. In, well, he's in LA. I'm here in Dublin. Um, and Andrew is a colleague of mine from many, many years ago. And I'm only thoroughly thrilled to see his rise uh, through the ranks of hairdresser to the stars, if I may, Andrew. But aside from that, actually, and, and just we were just talking there before we started recording, Andrew was so kind and, and said that he felt that there was, you know, that there was space for kind of creatives like me to to kind of express and uh, create kind of openly. So he's actually already given me a nugget that I'm going to take away with me from today. So, Andrew, yeah, I wanted to read to you the poem Fashion Week. And it's really about belonging and fitting in. And um, you just spoke about it a little bit earlier there, you know, about how creatives very often feel like they are, uh, I suppose, winging it sometimes and that maybe they don't belong. So anyway, this is called Fashion Week. Friday fits. Saturday is too short and Sunday is very tight. Monday doesn't suit me. Tuesday is oversized and too long and Wednesday only works when it's layered with Thursday. What does your kind of week generally look like, Andrew? I expect it's probably incredibly busy and you are, are trying to squeeze all sorts of things into all sorts of days. Um, yeah, my week is usually pretty, pretty intense, to be honest. Uh-huh. Um, first of all, I just like to say I love that poem, by the way. Thank you. Um, it, it is simple, but it does say a lot and it does paint a picture. Um, and to to what you were saying earlier, um, as a creative, we all we all have um, our own interpretations of what our job is, uh, who we are in that job, um, how we define ourselves through our connections with others through that job. It's, it's such a layered experience. And mm-hmm. especially when it comes to creatives, um, as we were talking about earlier, there's there's so much space for us to express ourselves. Uh, now more than ever, because there's so much connectivity between us mm-hmm. that I think that a lot of ideas that have been developed, we'll say through the decades and and we are where we find ourselves now, I feel like there's a real appetite to uh, listen to other people's stories and experiences and interpretations of of whatever this experience is. So thank you for that. Thank you for your poem and thank you for um, your interpretation. Um, but, uh, back to my, I'm trying to divert away from my week because I'm just going to start like sweating. <laughs> my week is, yeah, it's usually pretty intense. It, 
it really changes week to week. It's never it's never any one thing. Um, obviously, I have my uh, hair care brand now, so whatever gaps I had of free time before are definitely filled up with that. Um, yeah, but I'm I'm incredibly um, grateful that um, that I I have that complaint. So tell me a little bit about your journey kind of from because obviously like when I knew you and when I worked with you and when we worked together, um, yeah. you were probably at the very beginning of this journey. Um, so yeah. talk to me a little bit about the kind of the transition from kind of like getting from here in Dublin and Ireland. You know, what? how did that journey go for you? How did that transition go from here to where you are now? Well, um, I think the the very very basis of it all is the fact that I'm gay. Um, okay. I didn't re- I didn't realize that for a really long time. Yeah. Uh, until I started going to therapy um, over here and kind of learning about my experience and kind of analyzing a little bit more and why I am who I am and why I do the things that I do. Yeah. And I think I've a so I'm a fire sign. I'm, I'm a Leo. All my signs are fire signs. Um, so I feel like. I was pre um, predisposed to um, a certain type of personality where I could, I, I felt the need to advocate for myself and express myself at any cost. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had to keep that, um, that had to be contained in, inside of my internal world as a child growing up um, because there wasn't a place for that in society. I was, I was told that in every possible way from... Um, literally to messaging in TV, adults' conversations, school, church, every every facet of life growing up told me that uh, I had to hide who I am and I was not allowed to express that. So for someone who is driven in in terms of not wanting to let other people's experiences affect my experience and vice versa, um, I just knew I had to do my own thing. I knew that that it wasn't my path wasn't necessarily going to be a straight line in Ireland the same way as other people's lives and that I had to claim it for myself. And you found that through kind of, I suppose, working on yourself. And how how did you find that to be the case that that was, you know, kind of what kind of instigated your growth in a way? Well, honestly, it did come from self-reflection and. And I started as a, a gay boy, not even a man, because sure. I had to interpret the world as a child and learn um, what the uh, the world was telling me, which was that I innately uh, could not be myself. There was not a place for me in society in Ireland. Um, I could not look at my future the same as my straight friends or uh, school friends um, could. There was no definitive path for me, uh, not in society, not on television, not in film. Uh, the only time you heard about homosexuality was um, to do with AIDS, people dying. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it was usually um, negative. So as a, as a young child, no one had to directly tell me that being gay was bad, but they did. And But it was also in the messaging all around me. I saw that as, I guess, I guess like a lot of gay people, that that's just the way the world is and that's what we have to navigate, yeah. um, which is a survival technique. But after, after years and years of, um, 
I guess kind of similar to what we were talking about earlier of, of this fraud complex, because I had managed to claw my way into society and carve a space for myself against all odds, mm-hmm. that journey was difficult because I always felt like a fraud because I always felt like I was taking someone else's space because I was never shown that I could be in spaces like that, in spaces of power, in spaces where I could be seen as an equal. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, years later with a, with a lot of therapy, I've, I've really realized that that is this, that was the start of my journey, um, recognizing that I was different, recognizing that I didn't have a place and having to choose, do I live life on someone else's terms or in society's terms to make everyone else feel comfortable because they're uncomfortable with me mm-hmm. or do I do what I want to do? And I'm a bossy Leo, so the rest was history. <laughs> Yeah, at, at, at 13, after being in um, a rugby school, um, a very, very mas- toxic, m- masculine environment, um, my mom got me a summer job at a hair salon when I was 13, mm-hmm. uh, fell, fell in love with hair, fell in love with being in an all-women environment, feeling safe for the first time, not having to perform as anything, a, a masculine version of myself or a less feminine version of myself. Um, parts of myself that I hadn't even really discovered or been able to um, uh, experiment with. Uh, like a lot of kids are able to experiment with their identity. Um, gay kids have to hide it. Mm-hmm. It was the first time where I felt, oh, wow, I can actually be myself and actually can talk about my real interests. I couldn't yeah. talk about Madonna at school. I couldn't talk about like um, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert at school. I had to pretend that I liked rugby and I pretend that I liked whatever music all the ages of my class were listening to. And come here, who were your people at that time, Andrew? Who were the people that you were talking to about Madonna and that you were talking to about... When I was young? Yeah, like who were your people then? No one. No one. No one. Your sister Um, or your mom or like... No, I knew knew that I had to hide who I was from everybody. Um, Of course, my mom knew that I liked Madonna. I liked things that were designated female interests mm-hmm. um but i don't think she thought too too deeply into it. my mom didn't know that george michael was gay my mom didn't know that elton john was gay my mom didn't even know that dale winton was gay mm-hmm. so she certainly didn't, didn't automatically think that her son was gay mm-hmm. um because it wasn't it just wasn't a uh, a part of her consciousness yeah um so I, I was in it by myself uh i remember being five years old and and knowing that i didn't have a place um, that I, I I remember being five years old and oh God, and knowing so that I couldn't I couldn't be myself I, I I when I was really young five and six years old I thought that I, I didn't have the words then but I thought that I was trans I thought I was a girl because no one had ever explained what gay was I just knew that I liked boys and I knew that girls liked boys so I must be a girl I, I had to navigate it myself at a really young age so a lot of gay people create an internal world because we're not allowed to express it on the external world. Yeah. Um, so that was a huge benefit to me in my later journey, um, having mm-hmm. that internal world to feel safe in because I had to build uh, a, a, an internal world to feel safe in because outside was not safe for me. It wasn't safe for me um, from uh, verbal intimidation, um, hate speech, physical intimidation, uh, hate crimes, um, I, I knew from a very young age that I had to be, I had to keep myself safe, but I had to have somewhere to express myself. And that was only to myself for a very long time. Okay. But when I started working in an all-female environment, 
little by little I was able to take that armor down and and mm. come out of the shadows a little bit at least in the salon I knew yeah. like when I when I had to get the bus home I used to wear a, a baseball cap even when I was <laughs> working with you a, ba- yeah. a baseball cap and I would have to try and hide myself and make myself not stand out for my own safety My first experience of a of a safe environment was was the hair salon. The hair salon, and yeah, be, being around only women. Yeah, and um, so I just chose to at least um, uh, relax in the safety of of being in an all women environment. Um, but again, as a Leo sign, um, I was working in hair salons. This was, I think, two thousand one, mm-hmm. um, and I I wanted. I wanted more. I, I was working in a, I worked in a couple of different hair salons because I ha- had to keep um, moving because I was underage. I wasn't legally allowed to work because I was only 13. Um, okay. So throughout my training, I had to move to so many different hair salons when they were kind of figured out my real age or were asking about like documentation or anything like that. So mm-hmm. I was around different people all the time and I never really got to be comfortable with people long term, which also served me later on being on set because you're just around different people each time and you have to be able to be yeah, okay with that because yeah, it can be quite transient um, can't it like but the set I, life. I got a job yeah. in town um in a salon in grafton street and um someone came in from a magazine called prudence magazine um do you remember prudence Oh yeah, um, I remember Prudence and Alana. Yeah. You know, I still keep in touch Alana, with Alana here. Alana Gallagher, yeah, yeah, uh, I love Alana Gallagher. Like, talk about a smart woman. Like, she is so, so, so intelligent. Everything came out of that one, uh, that one moment where they actually they went in looking for one hair, hairdresser, and he wasn't in. So I think the salon just wanted someone to do it from the salon. So they're like, "Oh, Andrew will do it. Andrew's very creative. He'll do it." And I think we got re- I think we started the day in the hair salon and yeah. got, got the models ready for the first shots in the hair salon that I was working in. Yeah. And we shot the whole day. Yeah. I and I, and you were styling it, so it was legit. And David Poole, who's an incredible photographer, um, uh, was taking the photos, and it was it was great. It was beautiful. I'm sure if we look back in the photos, we'd still be extremely proud of them. I'm gonna um, find them. That, I'll send them to you. Please. Yeah. Please. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, that that basically just that sparked something in me. I was so, like, "This is what I want to do." It was actually it turned so, out quite nice. Do you remember? Because the Lewis had just gorgeous. opened, and like it yeah. was all like, "Oh my god, Dublin is cosmopolitan. We've got a Lewis." Yeah. <laughs> Dublin is now New York, <laughs> and we're never going back. Um, I can't believe that that was my first ever photo yeah. shoot, and you were the stylist. Yeah. Why didn't I put that together? Okay. Um, well, well that I'm was, glad that you got this far, Andrew, because imagine you had to said, I did my first ever photo shoot and the style and was fucking She terrible. was a gee bag. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really interested in that moment, you know, where you just, you, you're not quite in the flow yet because you're very much in yeah. your flow now. But it's that moment where you're like, okay, this is where I belong. This is where I feel yeah. in. So yeah. that was that moment Absolutely. for you. Yeah, because and it was for a lot of reasons. And I think a lot of the reasons were that um, I had left school so early. I didn't have like a, a lot of education. I communicate differently to, to most people. Um, people in school would consider me, and I take this as a great compliment, as weird. 
Um, I'm I'm a weird person. I'm an, like an alt person. Yeah. That's always been fine with me. I prefer to be different. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, it was it was. I, I knew at the salon as as safe as it felt and and um, great as it was to be around um, mostly only females uh, women. Um, the 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 social structure of the salon. I didn't know how to navigate that. I didn't know how to navigate ongoing person interpersonal relationships like that. Okay. Um, I didn't I didn't know that about myself. I just felt like I was always exhausted mentally after working working in a salon. Also, yeah. like having different people coming in with different energy throughout the day, all of the clients and stuff. It, it just I, I enjoyed it, but up to a certain extent, there was a lot of just uh, getting through it too, because yeah. it is extremely hard work working in a hair salon. Yeah. Um, but uh, what I noticed was when I was on set working, even from the very first shoot with you, um, I loved the collaborative, um, part of the job, which was talking to the photographer, talking to the stylist, coming up with the looks, um, talking to the models, hearing their stories, and then going out and shooting. And then back then we were shooting on film, so you didn't get to yeah. see it until it came out in the magazine. And then mm. you open up the magazine, you're like, oh my God, this looks amazing. Oh my God, I can't believe it. Mm. Um, and I just fell in love with that. I, I was like, this is the, that's the structure. I can, actually, I can be myself. Mm. It doesn't feel, I don't feel contained by having to go to the same place every day, which mm. God bless people who can do that. I cannot do that. It's just not in my DNA. I have to be able to bippity boppity boo around. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, it, it, it sparked something in me. And then I, I started working on, I think it was Prudence Magazine. I think I did every single issue for a couple of months or years. And that space felt very feminist. It, it, to me, it felt like a feminist magazine. It was coming from a real women's point of view yeah. uh, rather than this is what men... 10 tips how to be sexy for your man. It, it was the opposite of that. Um, so that so that felt right to me also. After I decided that the salon was no longer for me, that I was going to be a full-time uh, editorial hairstylist. At, I, I was 15 or 16, probably 16 at this point. Um, I went to Eason's and I bought a family album. Um, and I put every single photograph from all my shoots of Prudence in... The family album, even in shots that were just a pair of shoes, I was like, "That's in my editorial. That's going in. Let me let me pad this book out." Was and it was one like, of them sticky ones? You know where you pull the plastic off and yep, then you stick the thing. Yep. Was it one of them ones? Nineties family that. album with the sticky. Yeah, thing, with the, the sticky, sticky paper that's thing. in lines. You yeah, can't I really even get them anymore. Look, no one put no. prints any no. photos anyway. But yeah, love exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, I went in with I went in with that thinking that I was really professional. I. I I was like, I, I really think that I this is my calling and that this is what I want to do with my life. And I was a young 16. I was I was wise, but I was still very, very immature. Mm. And um, the owner of the agency was like, well, I would consider maybe um, you staying in the salon and just doing little jobs here and there. There's not enough work really for a hair, for like a um, an editorial hairstylist to work full time and that be their full income. Mm-hmm. But there just isn't enough work in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And at that time. And um, I, th- I think I politely told her I didn't care <laughs> and that this is the only thing that I wanted to do. I didn't want to do anything else. Mm. And I guess uh, I believed in myself so much that that um, that uh, she believed in me. Mm. Um, and, and that's when I started. That's when I got signed first, um, my first agent. And I started going out on jobs. Mm-hmm. She also suggested that I try doing makeup, too. Um, which, wow, did you do oh, makeup for a time? Did you? Well, I don't know if it could be really called that. I think maybe face painting would be a better description. 
Like that, I, 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 it was floor to ceiling blue eyeshadow. It was uh, it's that, a look. Uh, yeah, braille braille eyeliner, and uh, I don't know. It, it was just it was it was bad. It was Sounds bad. Like I didn't want to do it. To but... like my teenage <laughs> disco. <laughs> so yeah, worked in Dublin for a couple of years, and um, I slowly started doing bigger and bigger jobs until I was doing like Brown Thomas campaigns, nice. and I was doing like a lot of TV. I was doing film. Uh, and then at around 17, I, I realized to myself that the industry was too small in Ireland for what I wanted to do. Um, the kind of jobs for a hairstylist, hairstylist is like the lowest rung in terms of money, uh, say on set, Mm. so many different things, um, Mm. in Ireland Mm. that, um, I knew the, the levels that I want to get to the, the highest level that I could have got to in Ireland at that time was to open a open a hairdressers so open a hair salon yeah um like financially and was that um, so ever I, on your radar as a hairstylist no no okay. no so you were um, always wanting to occupy a different part of i wanted to be able to duck and dive and do my thing yeah. in the world that's yeah. what i that was my calling that's what I, that's what i realized from a really young age i want to be able to be left to do whatever i want to do um so the commitment of a hair salon never really appealed to me. So I knew that I had to go in a different direction. And from from that first photo shoot, I fell in love with fashion and, and mm-hmm. um, working in a, in a creative team. Um, so I moved to Paris when I was uh, just gone 17, I think. That's nice. Did you um, have any French? Nope. I had no. zero French. Yeah. No friends, no money, no nothing. Um, but I went into, I think if not the biggest, one of the top three biggest uh, creative agencies in Paris. And I I went, walked in and I had an actual portfolio this time, which is cool. Nice. Um, but it was, it was an Irish portfolio. So it was very different to a French portfolio. Um, I think at the first meeting I, I was, you know, I did my thing. I was like, I'm going to be the next big thing in Paris and I'm here to do my thing and blah, 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 being really annoying. Mm. Um, and, uh, I think they were like, okay, I guess we could take a chance. They started passing my um, portfolio around and then they just started taking out pictures. And I think I was left with maybe two test shoots where the model barely uh, didn't have any hair or makeup, basically, where I just like ba- barely touched the model. Sure. And they're like, we need more photos like this. And so I had to completely start again in Paris. Yeah. Uh, and I had to do, I lived there for two years. I think I, I did maybe three paid jobs in the, in that two years. I was okay. just working and working and working on my book, working on my portfolio. I was bossy, but I was quiet at that point because I didn't really fit in in Paris. Like mm-hmm. I didn't fit in in Dublin, but at least I was Irish and I was able to identify with people in some ways. In in Paris, it was I was just an alien uh, mm. being there. Um, so I really used that that time for myself to work on my craft, myself being in a different city by myself so young it was there was a lot of things to contend with but my self-belief kept me moving forward yeah. my parents would always be sweet and be like you know the latch is always on the door you can always come home oh, and I used to see that as an insult I used to be like what the fuck do you mean I'm like I'm here doing my thing it's all like it's it's gonna work out it's gonna work out and they're like yeah we know but just to let you know you know being being sweet and knowing that I letting me know that I had um uh, I had options but yeah. to me I didn't have options I, yeah. uh, there was only one option, and and that was to keep moving forward. Yeah. And that pattern uh, continued. I left Paris. Um, I moved. I was in Morocco for a while. I went back to Ireland for a couple of months, and then I moved to New York. 
okay. um, when I was 21 and basically started the process again. I had to completely start again. I got signed. I how had did, to sorry, how did you find that book. personally to keep, to kind of go, because look, people have egos, <laughs> right? So yeah. to to keep going back to kind of square one in different markets, it's not that easy, like in any job or in any part of life to have to right, kind of start from scratch. How did you cope with right, that? Right, but it's, but it's just how you see it. I didn't okay. see it as starting from scratch. I saw it from, from I'm on the next level of the computer game. Got so it. I have all of that experience that I've had in the past. I had everything that I learned in Dublin, everything that I learned in Paris and around the world already. And I was able to be to go to New York, know I had ability, but know that I had to once again prove myself. And if you believe in yourself, proving mm-hmm. yourself is easy. It's just mm-hmm. existing. It's just doing what you do. Come here, are you enjoying the show? Check out this other show on the Headstuff Podcast Network. I Know The Face is a movie podcast on the Headstuff Podcast Network, hosted by me, Stephen Portio. And me, Andrew Carroll. Our show is all about character actors, the type of performers you'll see pop up in supporting roles in blockbusters, the type of people you know the faces but not the names. Each episode we pick one particular character actor and discuss a couple of their movies, shining a light on the performer's career while giving listeners plenty of movie recommendations. So the show is a must for cinema lovers. Subscribe to I Know That Face wherever you get podcasts and follow us on Twitter at I Know That Face P1. I started dating somebody there um, and I was 21 and we definitely thought we were in love and mm-hmm. we lived together. Um, we, he, he was getting food stamps, which are like government, it's like government money for, for food if you, um, if you can't afford it. Mm-hmm. And I used to basically, I, that's when I learned to cook, um, literally just on my ex's food stamps, I would have to make so, uh, enough food for one person for a week last for two people for two weeks, which, you know, well, any, I know my, my mom could do and a lot of Irish mommies could do. Um, but, uh, I, I, yeah, I tapped into my Irish mommy real quick. Um, and I just made it work. I, I really just made it work. And I had an amazing time because that was Paris is a little, uh, it's a little exclusive, mm-hmm. uh, not little, it's extremely exclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, Ireland is, is, is like, it's amazing and I love it. Um, it was, it's, it's incredibly small and there's sometimes, uh, generally speaking, like a, a small, small town mentality within that yeah. do, that doesn't allow you to grow, mm-hmm. um, the tall poppy syndrome. Um, so when I went to New York, not only was I utilizing everything that I learned in Paris, which was fashion, mm-hmm. um, like I did um, Alexander McQueen's last ever show in Paris Fashion Week and I was like the youngest person there but it was like such an amazing experience to go from that to New York where I could take all all that I learned from the experience of living in a different place and um, uh, working in real real fashion and uh, bring that to the States and then apply that to celebrity work and to commercial work where the budgets are huge, the teams are huge, the productions are huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I was learning to be myself. I was learning to be queer. I was learning to uh, express myself even more. In Paris, you kind of have to you know, just get by by like not standing out, which is kind of, uh, it was similar to my experience in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Whereas in New York is the exact opposite. The more self-expressive you are, the more valuable you are. The more you bring to the table creatively, the more valuable more valuable you are. Wow. Um, so to me, that's I, I, I learned that and I trusted that. So I 
really started to really become myself and allow myself to become myself, even if it was, I would always hear the, hear the word still of like, oh, that's too weird, or you're being weird, or people won't get that, and having to hear that voice, the voices from the past that were no longer there, Mm-hmm. and and disregard them and say no my experience is what I choose it to be so I will wear the thing that will make me stand out because I don't care because I want to or I will do the thing that no one else will understand why I'm doing it because I want to mm-hmm. um, and I started really learning that in New York and became more and more myself and the more myself I was the more successful I became um, so I think it was around the time that I started going to therapy um, that everything started slotting into place and I had more of an understanding and I had words for my experiences and emotions and feelings um, for my experiences uh, for the first time. That's when I realized that a lot of my, what we were talking about earlier, a lot of my uh, childhood, um, uh, a lot of my personality came from the fact that I was gay and that I had to live a different type of life. And there were so many different elements. It's insane how much your childhood can actually you know that you carry it with you as an adult and as a successful yeah. person in you know whatever kind of career whatever you choose it's funny it's like yeah. I'm I'm adopted right and like I mm-hmm. uh, like I definitely the way I am as a person definitely mm-hmm. stems from the fact that I was adopted I didn't have a, yeah. I wasn't a difficult kind of a re- adoption if you like like I was always aware yeah. of it I was a very happy child yeah. it was never an issue for me um, yeah. But I definitely know that the way I am as a person, I'm a pleaser, mm, right? That's right. all down to, <laughs> right. there's, this, there's something there. I just think it's fascinating that just like you're saying, you know, that you learned stuff as a child formed kind yeah. of how you kind of, I suppose, approach yeah. the world, saw yourself in the world, how you fit it in or how you didn't fit in. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah, absolutely. Do you still go to therapy, Andrew? Yeah, I still go to therapy uh, once a week. Once a week. Um, okay. It's, it's just, it's my time to reflect. I feel like if everybody at whatever mass. point in life like went to mass. therapy, they would be, well, yeah, because because <laughs> I have a different type of spirituality that isn't like a a religion per se. It's my, my set of beliefs that I've learned are true for me. Yeah. And it's how the universe works for me, yeah. the evidence that I have. Um, so I... Um, so therapy week, is definitely a part. Yeah, yeah it, I, I delve into... Uh, my my world, my reactions, my understandings, and kind of try to analyze it a bit more. Um, uh, and when I when I started going to therapy, I went from a person who had a very chaotic life. I was always late to things. I couldn't take care of myself. Mm. Um, I I just wanted to have fun. I didn't want any kind of responsibility. I had, and, and and that led to having a bit like a messy life. Yeah. Whereas when I started going to therapy, I I was I became I got to the driver's seat for the first time. I, life wasn't just throwing my car around. I literally was able to grip the steering wheel and and take all of that self-belief and all of that understanding and all of those experiences as the fuel. I sound like my dad because I'm making a car analogy, mm-hmm. but um, but to drive forward because um, we have all that wisdom inside of us, but we just a lot of the time we really try to avoid things that stem from things that make us feel. Um, We prefer to avoid those things. Whereas if you're able to try to live in harmony with your own thoughts, yes, you, your power will only ever grow. Yes. Um, Those thoughts are already in our mind. 
our understandings, our reactions, where we go when we feel abandoned or not listened to or not loved or all these things that we can, these personalities, we can slip into unconsciously and then become a different person. Why, why did I get so angry at that thing? Or why am I so frustrated whenever this one thing happens and I can't get over? Like everything stems from something. So a lot of people are afraid of therapy or they don't really understand all like, why do I need someone else to tell me what to do? Like when I know my life and blah, blah, blah. It's not, it's not even about that. The therapist does very, very little mm-hmm. of the work to be honest. They take all the money, but they do like, it's a, it's a, it's a space. You're basically like going to the gym. You're giving yourself a designated space to focus on your health. The gym, you do it by flexing muscles so you have longevity, so you're able to move around the world with freedom. And it's Mm. the exact same with therapy. Mm. Um, You're giving yourself a time to work on your health, work on on, on who you are in the world, be able to delve into the things that are not working, be able to learn from the things that are working and how to amplify them. And it's Mm. just giving yourself that space to organize your thoughts and organize your emotions so you're aware of everything. So at least... When that thing does happen the next time, when someone says this and you don't like it, you're instead of just going straight to the child going, oh, I didn't like the way you said that. I'm like, do you know what? You're not you're not all that because blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Instead of going, going, you feel the feeling and go, oh, wow, I'm being taken back to that place again that I felt like that I that I last felt when I was a kid. And yeah. I wasn't my mother didn't listen to me about this thing that I knew. And just it's allowing insane. yourself to go, OK, How that happened. Stuff comes up, isn't it? Like, it's just. Yeah. It's not. But, but to have the awareness, at least then, there's nothing you can't take back the past, but no. at least you can have an awareness of it and how it still affects you and then make a choice. Do I want to be activated by something from my past that is no longer there? Mm. Or do I, I want to choose to take responsibility for my feelings and emotions and do something different that benefits me and benefits the other person? Um, Andrew, and that's what I think given there me. might be a job for you as a therapist at some stage. Like, it's just, it's so. If they you know, can pay speaking... my day rate that I'm earning now, then I'll consider it. <laughs> but if not, you know what? I I'm grand. I'll do the ponytails and rake in the cash. I do think as um, well, like, it's a bit like a relationship. You know, my brother died about five, well, it was five years ago. And um, it took a couple of years before I could actually go and see someone. You know, people were going, mm, you know, would you not sit down yeah. and talk to them, whatever else? And um, I did find a therapist. He was a psychotherapist. And I think I went to him for about six months and I really was getting nothing because I realised that there was very little I was saying to him that I wouldn't say to you or if someone sat beside me for long enough on a bus, I might have the same conversation with them. I just think it's a relationship. Anyway, I found an amazing woman and started going to see her a couple of years ago. it's just extraordinary. A bit like you're saying now, March of this year, I had a really bad, what I would call an episode of just like mm-hmm. darkness. I mean, mm-hmm. and we're talking a bit here about fitting in and not fitting in. Like I was kind yeah. of outside of myself going, you know, this is shit. Like you're pretty shit. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, But mm-hmm. having done the two years with her, oh my God, yeah. I was able to kind of sit in it and say, okay, yeah. I know I know why this is happening and I know why I'm yeah. saying these things to myself. Like, yeah. it's just, it's like a superpower when you can figure it out. It you know? really, really is. Yeah. Like, I, I think of it as, like, we have all of this light inside of us um, and we have all of these experiences and it's basically getting to grips with with your light, understanding it, understanding its, its largeness. 
Yeah. Um, I don't know if largeness is a word, but um, it it, it under, oh, wow, cool. Largeness, um, it's, yeah. it's largeness. Just put um, ness on the end of anything. It's a word, yeah. That, okay, cool, safe space. <laughs> um, I, um, and then being able to hone it, being able to move that light into a direction and focus on something in front of you. Because yeah. if you are just radiating everything and anything can set you off and all these different things you could be pulled in different directions and a lot of the time it physically feels like you're being pulled in a million directions but if you're able to focus yourself onto into just your intentions of what you are intending what you want what you understand and what you choose that's when you can harness all of that energy and put it somewhere positive that works for you and a lot of it is unlearning Um, a lot of my my um initial therapy when i started in my late 20s was trying to forget everything that I learned in school and church basically because I was so repressed sexually that I didn't I felt uncomfortable talking about sex I felt uncomfortable about talking sex even with friends with partners and then I realized that it was it was having a negative effect on my life so I was like okay I have to talk about this in therapy and being able to delve into why I found it difficult what took away my voice and how I can get it back and how I can practice my self-belief and uh, it doesn't matter what other people think. I have to be able to communicate my truth without being worried about shame. Mm. Um, because life is about uh, about learning how to survive from somebody and then eventually taking away the things that you don't need anymore or you've built up for yourself, defenses that you've built up for yourself for different points in your life. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, taking stock of everything and choosing what, what works for you and what doesn't work for you. Learning about the things that don't work for you, how to not go to their, that place over and over again and repeat cycles, and the things that do work for you, how to incorporate that, the other energy into those areas. That's oh, I'm really, I'm really bossy, I'm really this. Absolutely, yeah. I'm bossy. I'm, I have control issues. I have this, that, and the other. But I've learned to not l- allow them to bleed into my personal life, but they're highly effective in my work life. Yes. So it's, so it's learning how to um, to be aware and hone your hone your uh, powers into one place that works for you. Um, and therapy definitely gave me that. And I, I, I and you still uh, I go to, and you go once a week. I still go. Yeah, like I kind of liken it to if if you'll forgive the pun, it's a bit like going to the hairdressers. I say, do you know what I mean, or the dentist or whatever. You know, it's like you just you want to keep everything. You know, kind of feeling good, well, I looking guess, good. I mean, you're saying. I guess I, I cry to... less at a hair salon than you do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh god! Because I'm a crier when I when I'm at therapy. I my poor yeah. therapist just. I'm sure she has to stock up on the on the tissues it's when tissues. she knows I'm coming. I'm in. a crier. Like oh god, you're I a crier. I love crying. I'm a crier. I love. Crying. I mean. Like my dad used to walk into the living room and I'd be weeping. And he'd be like, what's wrong? I'd be like, your woman won a car and spend the week. <laughs> <laughs> she just won a car. He'd be like, oh, fuck's sake, God. would you ever put yourself <laughs> together, you know? Andrew, I'm going to have to ask you about the Kardashians. Okay. I wrote a poem in the book called Zoom Perfume and I sent it to you. You were so generous and kind and supportive when the book came out and you posted about it and it was so funny because my publishers at the time were like um, I believe that Kim Kardashian's hairdresser has posted about your book you know and I was like oh yeah Andrew yeah he's lovely I know him or whatever and I was so grateful and it, you know it was lovely for you to to kind of give me that little bit of exposure and I remember saying to you at the time I actually mentioned Kim in one of the poems and you were saying to me Oh God, what what did you say in a kind of and I, it just you know I kind yeah. of thought you must be quite protective over them. I mean because it's such a like the whole online universe which you exist in yeah. as well. Let's be honest because yeah. 
you know, obviously there's your work and, and, and you've told me about the graft and just the mm-hmm. absolute, you know, kind of focus that you have on that. But you do live a lot in the online kind of universe, as do mm-hmm. some of your clients. I mean, so, mm-hmm. so you must be quite protective over them. They must feel like kind of family at this stage. Um. Well, it's funny. There, the work that I'm doing now, especially with um, my clients that I work with regularly, it's 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 the closest thing to the hair salon that I could imagine. Really? Um, because we're shoot. Well, we're shooting a reality TV show, and if we're not filming and if we're not on set, it's it's. Um, I'm going over to their houses. We're chatting. We're. Um, it's an intimate relationship, ready. by the way. It really you is. You know, like it with is. your hairdresser, any woman, any house. man will tell. Well, men less so, maybe because barbers yeah. tend to be a bit. Don't talk. well. My husband loves. He go. He picks his barbers based on the the least amount of chat. I'll go to that one because your woman never talks <laughs> to me, and I won't go there because your man wouldn't shut up. So, but it's the complete yeah, yeah, opposite. Yeah. Is it's, it's almost like yeah. a confession box, and there's a real trust, yeah. I think, between the hairdresser. Well, and there's the a client. there's a trust uh, there's a trust that can be built. Um, yeah. And I think for people who do my job or work with the kind of people that I work with, yeah. um, there's there's different types of intentions. Sometimes people want to be famous themselves. They're very attracted to a, a lifestyle and they want to be a part of it and they want to be the the friend and go to the, the openings and blah, blah, blah. And then there's someone like me who I think I have very trusting relationships with my clients because I don't want to be famous. I don't want to go to parties. I want to be in bed by 10 o'clock watching a serial killer documentary. Amen. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to insert myself into other people's lifestyles because I'm so happy with my own oh, that's um, because such I've a nice, curated my life in a way where to be, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, but I built that. I built that yeah. from the ground up. I built the life that I live from the ground up that from the house that I live in to the people in my life, these are all, very conscious choices. I only have people in my life that support me and don't judge me. Mm. Um, so I know that the people in my life, no matter what happens, money, no money, fame, no fame, whatever it is, um, it's a real relationship. Good. And that's really important. And I have to have my own life. And my clients are able to relax then because they know that I don't want anything from them. I'm actually just giving. I'm just yeah. giving my time. I'm giving my expertise. I'm giving my support. I'm giving my love. I'm giving my advice sometimes. Yeah. Um, but I'm not asking for anything. I'm, I don't want to hang out. I'm not trying to, um, you know, any of any of that stuff. So yeah, yeah. You build you build relationships with people. I remember the first. I like. I like to have boundaries um, to protect myself. Yeah. Um, and I get to choose how close I let people in or how far I want to um, have distance between people. Um, but I remember the first time I ever became friends with a client, it was with Mariah Carey and I ended up working with her for a couple of years. Um, and that was like pretty early on in my career when I moved to New York yeah. and, um, I never imagined being friends with the client because I'm so private and I just, when I'm done with hair, I want to be either with my friends or home or whatever, or, okay. or pursue my own interests. Um, but you can't help when you just connect with somebody and, I remember having to learn how to to be friends with someone while they're still a client, have boundaries, but still be there for them. Okay. And I think I think I, le- I learned that with Mariah. And I would say the only other client that I have who is I would consider a real real life friend mm-hmm. would be Chloe. Nice. Um, yeah. Chloe and myself are very very similar. We both are very old school. We'd prefer to be in the kitchen listening to Luther Vandross than at the club listening to Cardi B. You know. What's your favorite um, so, Luther Vandross song? Tell me. 
Here and now. It's one of my favorites of all time. Never too much, never too much. Never too much, never too much. I love that song too. It's such a that is such a lovely song if you listen to the lyrics. Oh my god! It's just such an that is that'll have me weeping that song now. Um, But I I love Luther. I love Anita Baker. I love Aretha. I love I love soul. I love R and B and particularly like seventies, eighties, and nineties. Like the same kind of stuff. Yeah. All we do is listen listen to the oldies together. We laugh. We just we're just aunties together basically. Um, We we just share a lot of interests and and we've just developed uh, a really strong friendship that. We're able to be friends and we support each other and we talk to each other in our personal time, but we're not, we both have really, really crazy schedules. So it's not like we're like, okay, so let's go to the cinema on Tuesday or let's go to this. We yeah. work so hard that we get to see each other when we're working together. Yeah. And, and, and that's where we see each other the most face to face, but then we're always there for each other. I've, I've had breakups. I've had situations in my life that were really difficult. My dad passing, she was able to relate. Um, yeah. There was a lot of areas in my life where, she really, really stepped up and supported me and checked in with me. Like w- when my f- dad passed, Chloe checked in with me more than anyone else. And and there's been um, areas. I think in when things like Chloe's that happen life- as well, sometimes all it is is you know you sent me a text every day for five weeks just to say hi. Exactly. Like, that kind exactly. of stuff. Just a heart every day. Yeah. Um. So I feel really blessed to have that kind of relationship with Chloe, and and I and I and I mirror that sentiment uh, back to her when she's going through something difficult. I'm always there and. Um, I well, try to give advice. that's what real and... friends do. You're <coughs> a mirror of each other. Absolutely. As you know, the whole poetry thing was new to me and I just yeah. write about very real stuff and I don't use particularly um, uh, kind of flowery language. I use mm-hmm. some coarse words even. But anyway. Um, I love that. But that's okay. Yeah. Again, yeah. it was a bit, ex- it was like, do you know what? Fuck it, I course. So you know yeah. that's kind of how it fuck is it. we all do what's your what's your favorite curse word oh fuck definitely yeah fuck, fuck? yeah or fuck. oh fuck no just fuck, fuck. yeah it's, fuck it's it. a very satisfying word fuck. it is and and it's funny it's universal like you know yeah, you can say absolutely. that in, in any country in the world and not speak the language like fuck off and everyone will know yeah, literally. Where at, my, you know? my favorite curse word my favorite curse phrase is not universal. What is it? Gee bag. Gee bag will always be my number oh, one favorite Irish yeah. phrase. Do you I'm have sure one of the mugs? Offensive. The gee bag mugs. You know I have a gee bag mug. I have a gee bag mug and I have, <laughs> have you a Have actually got a gee bag mug. like it's a bag? I swear to No, actually, I think the thing with the word fuck is that I use it, I fuck it or fucking or fuck everything. I use it when I'm really happy or when I'm really sad or when I think something's amazing, it's fucking amazing. Or when something is yeah. crap, it's fucking horrible and so it's just yeah. yeah it's one of those ones that I love and I use it a lot much Same. to my my kids would be mortified you know but again they kind of have accepted it and I've accepted that it's just yeah. part of the day to day stuff but yeah. I suppose so uh, and all of the subject matter that I write about tends to be very you know sim- like day stuff like drinking wine mm-hmm. and wearing leggings and whatever else so my last question relate. to you is this leggings do you wear leggings do you I know yours would be wearing leg- silk leggings- shorts now that no, I do. I wear silk boxer sh- shorts sometimes, but I, I do wear leggings when I work out sometimes. Oh, well, for working when out, I go running fine. And stuff. Do you know what I often, yeah. and I just, I said this to a friend the other day, you know, the way years ago, like you'd buy a band t-shirt to tell everyone that you were really into the oh, band. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. it's like now you can just go into Pennies and buy like a Nirvana t-shirt. And that really bothers me because yeah. I'm like, if you are going to wear a Nirvana t-shirt, you better fucking know the words to the songs. 
So I was saying, I wonder, do people who are really into sports, did they get really pissed off when everyone started to wear leggings and stretchy stuff and all gone? They're not doing any sports. Like, you know what I mean? But you wear yours to the gym, so it's all... In context. Well, not just to the gym. They're they're pretty comfy, but they they have become activewear has become like I know inactivewear too. You know. Yeah, I know inactivewear. I'm gonna write we, a poem called see... inactivewear, Andrew. That's <laughs> no. that's it's perfect. Stop. If I was to write a poem about you today, Andrew, what'd be the three themes that I might cover? Hmm. And it can be anything, as you know. I've written about biscuits and leggings, but yeah. I've also <laughs> written about kind of like. Grieving and um, addiction mm-hmm. and I, I'm going to do like as part of this podcast, actually, there's going to be like uh, it's like a behind the scenes, like an extra bit where I'll mm-hmm. pick a poem and I'll tell every it'll be like a behind the scenes version of the poem. So people will understand it, it puts it into context because um, people get their own from the work, which is really nice. But then mm-hmm. obviously I wrote things from a particular perspective. So it's a nice opportunity yeah. to kind of give them that perspective. So, yeah. So that's I mean, amazing. If, I think that honestly, I could well, I could break up if it's about me. Yeah, I could break up three my life into three stages. I suppose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, one would be the first one would be bravery, nice. probably. Yeah. Um, the second the second part would probably be acceptance, mm-hmm. and then hopefully the third chapter is having went out and found my own keys to the lock, being able to go back and help other people find their keys to their locks. That is gorgeous. That's going to, I'll have to start writing novels, I think. Maybe not poems. <laughs> I, I would I'll love have that. To write, I'll have to write like a proper book for you, Andrew. <laughs> Jan um, Binchy. I'm yeah, waiting. Jan Binchy. <laughs> Jan and Tonic, that's what I say. Um, <laughs> Jan and I'd love a Jan and Tonic right now. You're having a John and Tonic baby. This is it. <laughs> Andrew, thank you so much. It's just, I mean, like, we could talk about so many other things, like how I don't dye my hair or cut my hair and just hair. But, like, I was just really yeah. interested in in the man behind the hair. <laughs> you know, I just think it's just lovely to see you excel. Oh, yeah. Andrew, thank you for, for your Andrewness. See, you can just Thank add for your Jan and tonic. onto the end of anything and it becomes I'm, a word. I'm pissed on Jan and Tonics right now <laughs> and never been happier. I love it. Andrew, have a gorgeous day and thank you so much thank and you, thanks Jan. for being so generous with all of your... You too. Just telling me all of your thoughts and everything. All right, my yeah. love. Take care. You're the best. I'll all talk right. to you later. Bye. bye. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. bye-bye. Thanks, you too. Bye. Thanks for listening. See We're not really strangers, are we? I'd love to hear any of your thoughts. You'll find me on Instagram at jbgoodtome. If you've got any funny poems that you want to share with me, I'd love to hear them as well. Join me in a fortnight for the next episode. And come here, in the meantime, you can support me by becoming a member of Headstuff Plus, where you'll be able to access some bonus content. It's called Behind the Lines, where I let you into all the secrets and the people and the places behind the lines of the poems from my little yellow book. Go on, I know you want it. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. 
a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Thank <laughs> you.